You can be in really smooth water, but as you go round the bottom of whichever country it happens to be, the waters can just suddenly change and you go from water which hopefully wouldn't make you seasick to being in waves that go up and down like this, you know. And life can be like that, can't it? And sometimes when life is like that, we lose sight of the things around us. I remember when I was in Bible college, driving to Bible college one morning, and the sun was beating. I mean, I could see the sun. It was in a w- winter like it, was, it is today. The sun was low, low in the sky. And it was beating strongly through the window of the car and I could feel the warmth of it on my body just through the the window of the car. And then all of a sudden, that sense of warmth and contentment that you get in those warm moments disappeared as a cloud moved in front of the sun. Now, as I was driving... I genuinely felt God say to me, you know, that's like life. Sometimes in life, things come our way and they go across the front of who I am. And for a moment, you seem to lose sight and feel of me. And yet I am still there. And I think there are folk here this morning who need to hear that. Maybe you haven't had the best 2023. Maybe 2023 hasn't ended quite the way you wanted it to. Maybe this year you've lost loved ones. Maybe you've been through a divorce. Maybe sickness has come into your home and you're wondering and you've been talking to God and you're wondering, where are you, Lord? Where are you? Why are you not answering me? When I pray, well, I want to say to you this morning, despite the fact that you might feel that God is distant, he is still there. He is still there. You see, a a, a simple reading of scripture will reveal to us that we are not alone when we feel and we have those moments of doubt and and hardship, we are not alone. Many greater people of God have gone before us and experienced those same moments. Joseph, Moses, Abraham, Job. I could name a whole host. King David would know what it was like to feel Um, almost abandoned by God. And in fact, when you read the psalmist, you see it again and again and again as the psalmist cries out to God and he unburdens his soul. You see someone who, where are you, God, sometimes? Sometimes it's ecstatic praise because God has answered prayer. But many times in the psalms, It isn't ecstatic praise that you read. It is actually the cry of the heart for God to break in and come. Where are you? My enemies are all around me. They are saying the most horrible things about me. Where are you, God? Even to the point where the reality of the psalmist will say things like, smite them down. That's how real, that's why I believe the Bible. 
Because it doesn't hide the truth. It doesn't hide the truth. If we're asked face to face, do we ever feel like that? We give the godly answer probably, you know. Oh, no, no, no. You know, I might get a little upset, but I I never want to smite people. I'm telling you, I have. I've wanted to smite people down. Well, not me personally. I've wanted God to do it for me to prove that I'm right, if nothing else. And the psalmist cries out to God. And you see it in the Psalms as you read them. I did write in here somewhere, there are some Psalms down just as an example. Psalm 3 is where David is praying when everybody has been turned against him by Absalom. Absalom has sat at the gate and he's drawn the hearts of people away. And he is feeling and he's had to exit Jerusalem and he's had to leave his place. And he cries out to God. Psalm 13, there's the sense of depression in there. Psalm 23, when life is drawing to a close, there is that, you know, lead me, Lord, lead me beside still waters. Psalm 74 is a prayer when the psalmist feels that God is distant. And Psalm 87 is the psalmist praying because the country's in a mess. And so what we find in Scripture is this, that there is ups and downs to life. And God has not, despite the fact that we often believe and would like to believe that God has taken from us the need to face issues in our life and he's just going to take them all away and our life is going to be absolutely brilliant and we're never going to have any more difficulties. We all know that that is not the truth and we sometimes we wrestle very badly with trying to understand why. I'm going to read you very quickly Just the first eight verses of Ecclesiastes 3. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. These are stark contrasts that the writer uses to address an issue that we need to grasp. And as we come into 2024, I want us to be willing to think about what I'm about to say and maybe be willing to respond in some way 
As I said, I don't know what this year has been for you. I really don't. I do know this, that seasons are determined by the rotation of the earth around the sun. That doesn't make me brainy, by the way, all right? I looked it up on Google, all right? But I found out that the, a seasons, the seasons are determined by the travel of the earth around the sun. And at certain times of the year, depending on the tilt of the axis of the earth and its proximity to the sun, because it doesn't just do it in a nice circle, it's an, it's an elliptical thing. <laughs> right? I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's a t- scientific, technical word, that thing. All right? It's an elliptical travel. The earth will be closer to the sun or further away from the sun. And because of the tilt of the axis of the earth, we start to see season change. And in those seasons, we see different things. Our winter season, we see things that everything has fallen away. Everything seems dreary and bleak. But eventually spring comes and you see the breaking through of plants in the ground and the first buds coming on trees and then you get the blossom and then you get the harvest comes in later in the summer and in towards the autumn and you know you've got the heat of summer which these days can be oppressive sometimes. And yet summer's a great time, long days, great opportunities. Then autumn comes, and I love the autumn. There's something about the autumn for me, the colour of the light, or I don't know if light's got colour, but the light seems to have a golden glow to it to me, you know. Um, And there's that pleasant what I call pleasant warmth where you can be out in September and early October when there's enough heat to be out just in shirt sleeves it's not cold but it's not burning hot either and our life mirrors that sort of thing that whole thing you know of moving through seasons I look in scripture and I see the children of Israel They go through cycles of revival. So you get the cycle where they go downhill from being in a place with God. Things are going well. They forget about him. It drifts downwards. They suddenly hit a problem, rock bottom, and they cry out to God. And all of a sudden, God intervenes and they climb out of it and they're all good for God again. And round it goes. Things are cyclical. I think in our lives sometimes we struggle with our Christian walk because we don't recognize that we have seasons where God is doing different things. He's doing different things. Just one illustration from Scripture. And that illustration is Elijah for me. In 1 Kings 19, in fact, I'll go before that. In James, we're told, and I think it's an amazing statement, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. 
Now you think of the things that Elijah did and he's got a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. But when you look at Elijah's life starting in chapter 17... You see, Elijah comes to a place, he comes to the widow of Zarephath, and because of the drought, there is very little food in the house, and he asks her to make him some cakes. And she tells him that her flour jar is almost empty, and she's got very little oil. And he asks her to make cakes and she does that and she gives it to him. And he turns to her and he says these words or words to this effect. He said, from now until it rains, your flower jar will never be empty and you will never be without oil. And it was so. It was as he said it would be. During that same period, there is miracle number one. During that same period, her son dies. And he carries the body upstairs and lies over the top of the body and asks God to bring this son back to life. And the boy lives. Miracle number two. Then... He meets with Ahab and Ahab and him have this bit of banter going on and then at the end it's like Elijah throws down the gauntlet and he challenges him to bring all the prophets of Baal and so they all meet up on Mount Carmel and Elijah always amazes me because it's like he taunts these poor guys. They're saying their God is the best and the only God and Elijah is serving the only true God. And so they both build altars, they put sacrifice on it and what they do is the prophets of Baal go for it right on. They're cutting themselves, they're um, absolutely, you know, on a frenzy I get the impression And nothing is happening to the point that Elijah is even rude to their God. Do you think your God's relieving himself somewhere? And so he can't hear what you're saying. And then Elijah comes. They give up. Elijah comes and there's this trough dug around the altar, his altar. And they pour not just a few drops Remember, water was the most precious commodity at this time. They took massive stone jars, two of them, and poured them over the top of the sacrifice and the altar, and it ran round the trench at the bottom. And then Elijah simply asked God to send the fire. And the fire falls. It consumes the offering, the wood on the altar, the altar, and dries up the water. Wow, you would think, how could this guy ever feel that he was not, that God wasn't on his side, that God was never there? How could he ever feel like that? And yet in 1 Kings 19, 
having seen all these things through the end of 17 into 18 and then into 19, Jezebel, because he humiliated the prophets of Baal and they chased them and put them basically to death, the reality for me, Ahab goes back, he tells Jezebel and Jezebel threatens Elijah. Now, this is the guy who has just seen all these things happen and even if they didn't all happen one, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday type thing, the Mount Carmel incident, this follows it directly afterwards. And he legs it into the desert and he is in a right state. He's depressed. He's afraid. Fear comes on him. He runs into the desert. He's depressed. He's suicidal. He's asking God to take him home. He's forgotten the victories. He's forgotten the miracles. And he's there. And he's got a beef with God. He says, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant covenant thrown down your altars killed your prophets with the sword and I even I only am left and now basically they seek my life to take it away he says that twice in this passage not once twice he's feeling alone he's basically saying where are you God And in the midst of that, he has this encounter on the mountainside. The wind comes and rips through and is noisy, but God wasn't in the wind. And then there was the fire and the earthquake came and God was in neither of those. But it then says this still, small voice. I want to encourage you this morning very simply that if you right now are going through a season that you consider winter that you're struggling that God seems distant and far away I want to encourage you there is a still small voice that is coming now when Elijah got the still small voice he ended up leaving eventually and the very first thing we read is he calls Elisha his successor to the party and Elisha burns his ox and his 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 plow and follows Elisha uh, Elijah and but I want to encourage you this morning that if you're in a winter moment where things are happening around you that you don't understand, that God isn't speaking or doesn't seem to be speaking to you about, I'm just going to say to you, hang on in there. Hang on in there. Because God is still there. He is obscured for a moment by the cloud, but he is still there. Four things I want to leave you to think about. God sees you. We had a person come here some uh, last year sometime and they left us with these little bookmarks. The God who sees me. El Roy. The name of God. The God who sees me. 
I want to say to you this morning, God sees you. You might not be able to see him, but he sees you. He sees you. He knows where you are. He knows what is happening. He is not necessarily being laxed because he isn't bounding in to sort things out. But he sees you. He sees you. And Psalm 27, 14 says these words, Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You see, season, the word season, um, I can't even remember what I, I, how to say it now, but it's around here somewhere. Um, forget it. I won't try and pronounce Hebrew now then. <laughs> um, no, I won't. I can't find it. I'm, he sees you. The, he, he basically, what um, the word season means, an appointed time, a time which has been decided, a time which is set. And maybe going through this winter season, even in the winter season, things are happening that you can't see, that we can't see in the natural when the winter happens. Things are still happening. And as we come to the other side, we start to see the fruit. We find God not very often on the mountaintop, but in the valley. Valley is where growth happens in our lives. And I don't want to make an excuse for you going through a winter season and God seeming distant, but I am telling you, you have an opportunity to grow in that moment. You have an opportunity to grow, to find God in a fresh and new way. So God sees you. Your worth is not in what you feel you have lost. You know, when you lose a job, sometimes people struggle with unemployment because they feel they've lost their sense of purpose and being. You are not a job. You are not the marriage that is broken. You're not the relationship that has broken. You are an individual who God loves. I'm not trying to say that there aren't things in our lives where we don't, on any of those things where we might not be at fault, but the reality is that does not define you. Being Mr. and Mrs. does not define you. Being whatever you are does not define you. You are a child of God. That's what defines you. Whether you've gone through a relationship breakdown, you are still a child of God. Whether you've lost your job, you are still a child of God. Whether you've lost health, you are still a child of God. It does not define you. It's not that you're a bad person and God is punishing you. It doesn't mean you're a poor Christian. It doesn't define you. What you lose does not define you. Paul says, I, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. When we gain Christ, what we lose is immaterial. 
Remember, everything in life draws us closer to God. Everything draws us closer to God. Psalm 73, 28, the psalmist, but for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. God is our refuge. It is not... um, where we find ourselves at that moment or how well we can manage without God. Everything God allows into our life is to draw us closer to him. And notice I didn't say that God makes those things happen, but we know from Job that he allowed things into Job's life. And Job suffered loss, but Job learned and grew in that time. And understand that nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. Listen to these words from Corinthians 2, 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that, that is two very important words, so that, we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And so nothing is wasted. It's not wasted time where you are right now. It's softening your heart to God and to others and God wants to meet you that's basically what I wanted to share with you this morning but I want to give you opportunity to respond so I'm going to pray let's just bow our heads in prayer I just want to ask you this morning that Where do you find yourself right now? If you're in a place which is like, you know, spring, summer, that's great. But I want to speak to those people who find themselves in a winter season. And I simply want to stand with you in that as best as I am able. And I know that the leaders would want to do the same, so it's not, you know, it's not just about me, but... And I know that probably your friends want to do the same. One of the things about a winter season is sometimes we try and suck it in and suck it up so we don't let anybody know. And God has not put us together in a church, in a body, you know just arbitrarily he's done it because we're supposed to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice we're supposed to bear one another's burdens and so I just want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning if you would like me to pray for you I'm going to ask you to do something you might be embarrassed I don't want to embarrass you but so I can pray 
I want to just ask you to stand if you, if you are in a place of a winter season where you, however it happens, need to find God in this moment. I want to ask you to just stand to your feet and then I'm going to pray. I'm not going to embarrass you any further than that. There is a moment here right now where you can meet with God if you choose to. Thank you, guys. Just going to wait just for a couple more moments. Genuinely, God wants to meet with you. I believe that this morning. I do. He wants to meet with you. He loves you. God the Father gave the most precious thing he had, his son, for you. So he loves you. Heavenly Father, you see those folks stood here this morning responding to the message that I have shared. And Lord, I just want to ask quite simply, Lord, Father, in this winter season that they feel that they are in and maybe you are feeling distant to them, I want to pray, Lord God, that, Lord, somehow, even if it's just for a moment that they've still got some travelling to do, Lord, I want you to clear the clouds. And I want you to give them sight that you are still there. Lord, I know that we're supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. But Father God, knowing myself, sometimes I just need a little bit of sight to keep me going on my faith walk. And so Father, I pray now for each situation that is stood. Lord, will you begin to meet each individual right where they are right now. Give them whatever it is that they require right now. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon them right now, Father God, that they would know you care. Father, I want to thank you for their willingness to stand, their courage. Lord, I am certain that there are others sat who would like to stand. And Lord, don't pass those folk by, but meet them too. So Father, we just give you each of these situations. And we thank you for what you are going to do in them and how you're going to help these people grow. In the midst of what seems cold, and uncomfortable right now. So Father, I pray you'll bless them in Jesus' name. Amen.